for context of this passage. Uh, this is immediately after the text we read last week. So this is very much still a part of what's called the upper room discourse, um, where Jesus is giving the, the last teachings he'll ever give to his disciples. Um, and uh, Judas is out and about betraying Jesus as we speak. And so everybody's just kind of waiting for that to happen. And they're getting the last teachings off as we can. And the disciples and Jesus uh, just took communion together. And now they're asking questions and they're answering questions. And they're working out what Jesus is saying amongst themselves and with Jesus. And Jesus is telling them very important things, last things. And that's where we pick up today. John 15, 12 through 17. I'm reading from the NRSV this morning. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. Do not call, I do not call you servants any longer because servants don't know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from the Father. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So I'll start by reiterating a point from last week. We cannot love one another or serve the world without communion with God first. Uh, In this text, when Jesus says to love one another, love for Jesus is presupposed because he's talking to disciples. And so there are wonderful organizations who love others and serve them um, because those are things you can do without Jesus, but not for us, not for us. For us, communing with God is the most important thing about us. So our love for one another and our service to the world is born out of that rather than our love for one another and service for the world being born out of ourselves. We want to be who God wants us to be and not who we want to be. So loving one another presupposes love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus and communion with him shows itself in love for one another and service to the world. Uh, And vice versa. Our love for service, our love and service is evidence of our communion with God. This this week, I read a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in preparation for this sermon. Uh, So you'll hear me quote him several times. If you've never read anything by Bonhoeffer, let me know. You can borrow one of my books. Uh, And here is what Bonhoeffer says about this very idea. Love for God is tied to and verified by our love for other believers. Love for God is tied to and verified by our love for other believers. In other words, loving one another is the confirmation that we love and commune with God. If we find ourselves being harsh with one another or doing things out of selfishness rather than out of love, it's probably because our communion with God has been compromised in some kind of way. 
Um, communion with God is the root, and loving and serving is the fruit. I ought to sell that because that's like memorable. That's, I should write a book on that, right? That's the easiest thing to, to remember. Communion is the root and loving and serving is the fruit. So now we got that squared out of the way. Uh, I want us to look back at verse 12, the first verse in our text. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Back during my undergraduate degree at ACU, Jesse and I were part of this uh, really great college ministry. Um, Not everything was perfect, and I have issues with uh, a lot of the theology and the way we did some things, but it served its purpose for us very well. It was exactly what we needed at that exact time. Um, And one of the things it did well was it emphasized uh, your personal time with God. And so oftentimes that meant seeking God's will for our lives in private prayer. That's really what it kind of often uh, manifests its way into. Uh, So college is a time of transitions, a new routine, new friends, new cities, new majors, new opportunities, new ways to fail. Almost everything is new. And I guess it was just that season of life where everything is new and your entire future seems to be determined by what you do in these four years. Uh, But we were almost obsessed with trying to figure out God's will for our lives individually. Maybe you've been there too, where every time you interact with God, it's It's a time to beg for direction or guidance uh, for an open door somewhere. I get that. Uh, And I don't think that's bad to do at all. I think anytime you interact with God, it's better for you than not interacting with God. You should interact with God that way. But for me, at least, one of the most tiring things that I've ever done as a Christian is try to get that clear-cut well-drawn, X marks the spot map out of God. Begging and pleading, God, what is your will for my life? Hoping for him to tell me a certain occupation, a certain city to move to. It was always a city I wanted to move to, by the way. Uh, Do a specific thing. And I think he tells us these things sometimes. I believe God has a, a vested interest in your life. Please don't mishear me. Uh, But what I was doing was actually, I was hoping for my will. I was hoping for for things that I actually wanted to do. I wanted to pack up and go here. I wanted to go on this mission trip or date this person or switch to this major. I was looking for what I wanted. And again, that's not bad, but I was getting tired of trying to seek God's will as if he hadn't already spoken it to me. I was trying to pull out of him rather than listen to what his will was. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John uses that word command, commandment. The Greek word is entole, which means order or decree. It's tied to authority, usually given by a king or some kind of governor or Uh, somebody over you in some way, and it's something to be taken seriously as a representation of what the will of that person to you is. In other words, 
a commandment is the expression of God's will for people. When God commands something, he is telling you what his will is. If you've wondered what the will of God is, Jesus is saying, love one another as I have loved you. And assuming our communion with God is prioritized, we have to ask the question, how are we to love one another? Jesus says, as I have loved you. As in everything, Jesus is our example in this. And it's not high and lofty, actually. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal. It's a divine reality. It's a divine reality. Our community, like every Christian community of people, is spiritual. Meaning, uh, it isn't human in origin. Uh, the Greek calls it pneumatic. Pneumos is, is, the, is how you describe spirit. And our community is pneumatic. It is created by the Holy Spirit. That's why our love for God is necessary first. But it's also why it works. We are all pretty different uh, people. Uh, we've got vegans and public schoolers and homeschoolers and young and old and longtime believers and some who are newer, sick and healthy folks and some who like the Astros and some who don't, okay? None of us really have all that much reason to be friends with one another, much less decide that we're going to be in this thing called community together. But none of those reasons are why we show up here. Because it's not school or sports or diets that make the kind of community we have at Sweetwater Christian Church. A community like this can only be nomadic, uh, created by God because we love God and therefore we love one another because we see God in the people in this room. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way in his book, Life Together. He says, our community firstly consists of what Christ has done to us. If you want to know like what a church is and why we're all here in this room and we love each other, it's because Christ did something to us. And that's what binds us together as a community. We love one another because Jesus loves us and it is our job and joy to love one another as he loves us. You can look at the wall behind me. Uh, if you're on the live stream, there you go. Um, I chose this art because it is the exact representation of what I think it looks like to love one another. Two different people coming from two different paths um, come together under the light of the Holy Spirit and the house between them represents the community that they've formed, but there's a light inside. It happens to be the same color as the spirit above them, right? And all of it just forms this big heart. It's not, it's not an emoji heart, right? It's a real beating heart because community with God is not an ideal. It is a divine reality. It's real. And I believe this is something we are already good at. We also have a lot of room to grow. Uh, honestly, I don't think there's anyone in this room who wouldn't say, well, yeah, I could do a better job of loving the other people in this room. Okay, I, I think we're all kind of there. In some ways, 
love one another is the easiest of the three points of our vision, but it is also really difficult to do. Uh, This is a verse that you've probably heard before. It comes from Galatians 6. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll just read it for you. It's Galatians 6, 2 through 3. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Maybe you've heard that verse, maybe not. But the idea of bearing one another's burdens is a very Christian idea. Uh, I would be shocked if that's the first time you've heard that phrasing. But I bring up this passage because I think that it gets at the heart of something else that Jesus is saying in this text. Okay, it's verse 13 if you want to look. Jesus says, No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Of course, we should think of Jesus laying down his life for us on the cross. The meaning of this text, however, is not restricted to Jesus on the cross. Because laying down your life is more than just literally dying for someone. It's dying to yourself. As Bonhoeffer puts it, so Christ shines on your brother. Dying to yourself, so Christ shines on someone else in this room. Let me, let me begin to put these two ideas together. Um, in other words, dying to yourself is ministry. It lifts up others by shining Christ on them rather than yourself so they can be a minister to you. How many of you know that I'm not the only minister in the church and the elders are not the only ministers in the church? We come from this tradition called the Restorationist Movement where we emphasize the priesthood of all believers. I am an equal And so it can be as simple as acknowledging that God did not make this person in front of me the way that I would have made them, but he did make them, and so I can accommodate them over my own wants and needs. That's a pretty simple way of loving one another, and I believe that plays out very equally in this community. Um, That's a pretty simple way of loving one another. We're all just a little bit weird, and we're all pretty much aware of how weird we all are, but we accommodate the weirdness of others just because we love them. That's what Romans calls outdo one another in showing honor. That's what we do, I think, really, really well. That's that's a real-life picture of, of what is depicted on the wall behind me. But laying down your life goes even deeper than that. Laying down your life has a lot to do with carrying each other's burdens. And here is where it starts to become uncomfortable. This is where it starts to show us where we all have room to grow and fill in that shape that God has molded us into because literally everyone in this room would gladly shoulder a burden for somebody else. I honestly and truly believe that. But here's where it gets difficult. We are to carry one another's burdens, but laying down our lives means that we also must be humble enough to be burdensome. Is that where you get squirmy? That's where I get a little squirmy. Be burdensome. Nobody wants to be burdensome, right? 
It feels unnatural to be a burden or to have your burden be put on someone else for them to carry. It doesn't feel right to do that to somebody else. But the only way anyone here will ever be able to carry someone else's burdens is if someone else is humble enough to be burdensome. Humble enough to say, yeah, I can't really do this right now. I just honestly can't deal with this. Or I am so tired of praying. My soul is exhausted. I just need somebody else to do it for me. Or I really, really need friendship. I want somebody to watch the game with or to go to eat with. Or even as far to say something like, I really don't think that I can handle this financially. I need somebody who can trust me right now. I can tell you that I have felt and needed all of those things at certain points in my life just in the last year. Pretty much all of us have, I think. And I think one thing we need to understand is that when Jesus says no one has greater love than to lay down their life for a friend, that is great love because it allows a fellow image bearer of God to joyfully do the work of Christ. It is ministry. It only, the only cost that it has is that we don't think too much of ourselves or believe that we don't need any ministry other than from sources like private prayer and Sunday sermons. The way loving one another plays out in real context is being humble enough to die to ourselves, be burdensome at times, and receive love from a brother or sister who is willing to shoulder a burden with you. Without judgment and complete and total mercy, risking ourselves to allow someone else to be a minister of Christ. This is a stretching kind of love, right? It's a stretch. The kind of love that gives the spotlight of Christ to a brother or sister by humbling ourselves to receive their love. That's stretching. Loving one another in many ways seems like the obvious thing to do. Uh, It is the obvious and logical next thing from commune with God You know, if you really wanted to boil it down to the very basics, it's love God, love one another, and love the world, right? If you really wanted to boil it way down, but I think we are, we have something to gain by being contextual because it's something we're already really good at and we should be proud of. And this is a reason why it's a part of our vision, but it is also the will of God to love one another. It is the will of God to love one another. It is An image not of what we think we can be, but of what God wants us to become. And it is the will of God that we love one another. But even though it seems generic enough, the truth is that loving one another offers a lot of room for us to grow. Putting the other people in this room above ourselves and relying on God for the humility to be burdensome sometimes. No matter how much it makes us squirm, so that the light of Christ can shine on another brother or sister. If communion with God is the most important thing about us, then loving one another will come very naturally, even when it feels unnatural to do so. 
Let's pray, and then we will have communion with God. God, we come before you, and we confess that sometimes we are really great at loving each other, but Lord, we ask for an expansion of our borders to be able to fill that with something more and greater. Lord, give us permission to be humble and give our burdens to our brother or sister. Help us to love one another well. And when we listen, help us to listen with your ears so that we can speak your word back to somebody. We love you. We ask for the grace to love you even more than we do right now. Please be with us and help us grow and fill this shape that you've given us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.